I heard a new idiom today. I've never yeah. heard it. I would have to tip Chomsky's hand a little bit. And I was like, tip his hand? I've never heard that. Like, tip his hand? I've heard of like forcing someone's hand. Forcing. No, he said tipping. See, wait, wait, wait. Is he putting the tip in the hand? No. Is it like, tip I hand, like, tipping. Him, like slipping him a 20? Not to tip. Like, Why would you give Chomsky $20? <laughs> no. Uh, I am so excited too. It is another episode. It is another day. It's starting to get warm outside. Well, I don't know about where Robin is, but it's starting to get warm here. It's Friday. It's Friday. I don't know. You have to ask on a Friday, though. But (laughs) you have to ask Jula. I don't know. Is this warm for? I don't know. Is this warm? I would say so. Yes. Okay. I mean, I only needed. I didn't need any sweater outside. So yeah. It has been raining every single day in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, it's been it, terrible. It's been so nice. It's I love the rain. Tuscaloosa is sad because I'm not there, obviously. Mm. So. But it's actually happy because are we going to announce that we have some very good news? Are we announcing one of our fellow, We are. Fellow gradlings. Yes. Yes. All right. Jason Morgan, do you want I, to make the announcement? Yeah, go ahead and make the announcement. No, you make the announcement. <laughs> oh, I make announcement. the announcement. It's your announcement to make. It's my announcement to make. I officially signed my contract to be an assistant professor of Spanish and language program coordinator at... West Virginia University. Was <laughs> <laughs> that a drum roll for West Virginia? A drum roll for West Virginia. Hashtag drum roll for West Virginia. That's the no, name. you can't make Go that a hashtag. Well, actually, no. is that? I want to find out if that's what they say. Go Mountaineers. I need to do more research. I don't know. I don't know. Um, they say but climb. Actually, climb mountaineers i don't know whatever it is it is amazing and i am so excited to start my new journey and this is just a testament to everybody out there as a grad student it is possible it is possible (laughs) (laughs) and i am very excited because we have a fantastic guest today named jula 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 is joining us and jula i have to ask a question because i hear this all the time no is it budapest or is it budapest i knew it well, so in Hungarian, it's Budapest. So okay. that, you know, it's actually an ash. Um, okay. But in, so in English, I made the con- conscious choice to actually say Budapest. But I think most of the people would say Budapest. Okay. That's always like, I feel like that's the thing. Like if you've, people that have been to Budapest, people that have been to Budapest always have this thing of, if you've been there, people are like, oh, no, 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 it's yeah. not Budapest. It's Budapest. And yeah. so I'm, thank you. Thank you for, uh, thank you for solving that. So now that Bowdoin has been vilified, some, not vilified, vilified. Verified, verified, verified. Is the, verified is the word. No, it's validated. Well, he's been vilified many times by other people, but <laughs> You guys, we have an amazing guest today. As you guys know, we've already mentioned his name. His name is Jula. Apparently, he's from Budapest. And actually, you're not, are you from Budapest? I was born there, but I wasn't um, raised there. That's yeah. what okay. I would say. We'll get to that later, obviously. We have, yeah. obviously get to, we're Such gonna an learn, awkward introduction. This is we're, great. We're going to learn <laughs> so much more about him, about his research, his lessons learned, and we're gonna have some really fun conversations about all that you guys and, stay tuned. but hey i want to say really quick today's a special episode because actually his research has to do with hashtags <gasps> what? Oh, nice. yes that's i'm true. so excited oh, what my God. hashtag what w-t-u-t my <laughs> <laughs> oh it's gonna what? be great this is a very special episode and everyone stay tuned
because Jula has been probably one of the best people I've met at UIUC since I've been here. Yeah. And also, he was one of the first. He took me at, um, he took, I, he was uh, obligated, but he nonetheless, he did. He took me out to dinner when, during my visit um, oh. last spring. So, yeah, I'm so excited that he's here on our program today. <laughs> um, anyway. So, Jula is a PhD candidate, um, so ABD here at UIUC, and he studies prescriptivism in France um, in newspaper and social media, and he does so by implementing computational and statistical applications. Um, R is his best friend. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. Um, and for his research interest, he's particularly looking at whether speakers use prescribed French terms instead of their English counterparts in social media and in actually all general media. Um, I had the pleasure to see him present his work the other week and it was fantastic and he just like blew the minds of so many undergrads it was a magical experience (laughs) (laughs) but yeah if you wanted to um i don't know if you want to do a little talk about you know because you've studied at multiple places and around the world and and then you came to this topic and you came to work to on it here with um a great faculty a great school and i just wanted to know like how you got here uh, wow, that's that's gonna be a long story. Maybe. <laughs> um, so, well, the thing is that I first studied French uh, when I was in high school, and so that was something unusual in Hungary. I would say so, because like um, usually uh, it's either English or German, and so French was very uh, very unusual. And so then, since I already already have that language after high school, I just continued with that mm-hmm. in Budapest. And then I studied abroad in Bordeaux, in France. And then the idea came to either go to Canada or to the US because like there were a couple of programs um, that were actually very interesting for um, me. And so basically here, my topic for this whole prescriptivism thing Mm -hmm. um, came through one of the classes that I took during my second semester of masters. Mm -hmm. And it was with um, Ana Maria Escobar from Spanish. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a sociolinguistics class. And so um, I wanted to try basically a way to um, look at all this kind of presumption that you have this English influence in French and everyone speaks like Franklish and they just <laughs> English and French and everything like that. I like that. Franklish, um, that. That's Franklish. That's good. Yeah. It is, it is, um, it is such like exaggeration such an exaggeration that's absolutely not the reality but still like i was i was wondering because like uh, when you have programs on the tv uh like american tv shows and then you have the english titles for those um and even though you have all these kind of translations in french when it comes to all the little uh like descriptions like executive producer or anything like that and that's that's actually um, something special for France because it doesn't necessarily exist in Germany or in Hungary or other places. So we just give the English titles, um, like for those little things. But um, so we have this whole protection for French, but still you use English a lot. So that that was my like. There's this contradiction, mm-hmm. uh, and then like how why is there a contradiction, and how do actually like people go with that? Like you have, for example, the voice uh, on the TV, <laughs> and then like French people would call the coaches like coach in French. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, and so that's like I, I was just 
wondering like if you have this French Academy of the umbrella institution that protects the language <laughs> right. like yeah so yeah that, that was that was the the um, um, main inspiration and so I started with just one word one single word email um, <laughs> in, in French. which word sorry which word email okay. email gotcha. yeah, yeah. And so that's because you have like a um, French preposition for that which is courriel Okay. And courriel is actually a literal translation of electronic mail, mm -hmm. just like, like in English you have email. Yeah. Um, it actually comes from Quebec. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Oh. So yeah, this, they invented this which, word. Which is complicated because the, the French spoken in Quebec is very distinct from the French spoken in France, right? And it's kind of yes. more, even more, like, would you argue that the French spoken in Quebec is very Americanized in a sense? That um, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't no. dare to say that. <laughs> no, <it's>, uh, <laughs> they wouldn't yeah. say that, but... Especially well, if our advisor's listening, that? he wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's actually interesting because like in, in Quebec, like they would think, they would protect the language even more than in France. Like in France, you have this kind of perception that it is protected, but in Quebec, like they really push by laws the use of French, and they would actually prefer um, to use all the French terms oh, than, for example, in France. Interesting. Um, and but in reality, like they would nest, um, like they would, you would find a lot of code switching in Quebec, which doesn't exist in France because they are not bilingual in France. Uh, but in Quebec, they might be. Not not everyone is bilingual, but uh, especially if you go down uh, to the south in Montreal, like you would find a lot of bilingual. So for them, it's um, it's sort of like the it, it's more like a real protection of the language, if you can say that, mm -hmm. um, than in France. Okay. So from, for, with your study, with your research, you started with one word, and then I'm assuming from one word began the rest of the journey, like the first step of a journey. So tell us more about that research journey that you went down. So yeah, for, for that one particular word, uh, email, I actually... Um, wrote my master's thesis based on that because it was just like a 30 pages study. And then for the PhD, I knew that I had to step up my game. <laughs> <laughs> I actually looked into other words as well. Uh, and so in France, you have um, these terminological commissions or colleges uh, who would actually propose uh, French terms, French terminology for um, English borrowings, lexical borrowings. And mainly they are concerning like, um, stuff that the, the um, administration is interested in or any technological uh, companies, multinational companies, like they would um, have one question, like how would you say this in France? And then they ask these colleges and then they propose something. So I looked at that list that they put out um, and then I collected, I actually tried to choose words uh, based on like uh, computer science, um, entertainment industry and anything like that basically. And so that list is not representative of the whole corpus because it is really, uh, based on my findings, it's, it's, you can't generalize. Yeah. There are, there are different stories for each word. Oh, okay. That's, I think one of the biggest takeaways uh, from my research because something might work for one thing and maybe it's the form, maybe it's just the uh, popularity of that word. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it became popular before the age of internet. Like for example, the translation for the computer 
in French is very widespread, uh -huh. uh, but for other things, it's not. So it's really, uh, it depends on a lot on the words. Mm -hmm. And also, I remember from your presentation, which was something I didn't think about because I knew like the basic premise of your research. I was like, okay, I'm ready for like translation and things like that. But then you brought in factors which I had never considered. So like location, population size, um, and things like that. And I remember, especially like you had looked at like metro, it was like a metropolitan versus kind of like a suburban kind of rural, yes. Rural, yes. Mm -hmm. So like, did you kind of stumble upon that distinction? Like how Dr. Moaz, especially, she likes to, how does she say, she, she's like, you want to get the, as much meat out of your numbers as you can. Like, was it something that you stumbled on in your data or was it something that you intentionally was like, okay, I need to look for that? Um, well, that's, that's actually, a, I would say that I had some like expectations or assumptions um, based on like a population size of the cities mm -hmm. and also like locations. Uh, because I would have expected that the more rural a place is, or the smaller a place is, the more likely they would um, accept a prescribed term because they are, are not in contact with English as much or any right. international right. Uh, things. So they would just like take the French word and then use it. Um, and that is sort of uh, confirmed, but so the presentation that you saw was on um, hashtag Mm -hmm. and so that's the, um, um, in the introduction, you mentioned hashtag. Mm -hmm. and so in France, there is this term from 2013, um, which is called Modiez. And that is the word, the official recommended word for hashtag. What, wait, and what so, is it one more time? Sorry. Uh, Modiez, uh, which literally means pound word. Oh, Okay. Mm, interesting. Which is like hashtag is sort of the same thing, but just like um. Yeah, I mean pound. Yeah. Because uh, we mean, don't say like pound sign. Because that's yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what, like people that are I guess like of a certain age in the U.S. They don't say like I mean if they see hashtags on social media, they say what's the deal with the pound sign yeah. and the word, you know, because mm -hmm. that's how they know that um that symbol, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, and so they actually use that in French, uh, in France. And so that's, uh, but in Quebec, again, like they have a separate institution to propose this kind of terminologies. Mm -hmm. And so they actually came up with the word mot click, which is like the click word. Um, <laughs> because, like you would just click on that word. And, um, Interesting. Ah, I like that. I think you may have broken Robin just a little that's bit. So cute. <laughs> I, lo I mean, I no, love that. Like, I mean, it's very, like, I don't know, it kind of has all that meaning of like it's it's internet it's like technology you're clicking you're yes that's what hashtags are right um that's really wow i like that i like that a lot i think the i think the the quebecois are onto something the, like, the quebecois. Did they, did they quebecois? is that the word quebecois or the yeah. people yes yeah. okay, quebecois. okay. Thought so. do germans have an equivalent for a hashtag do you know uh, uh i do not know um, or sorry, oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. Oh, either anybody. I definitely don't know. I'm the only one here who doesn't speak German, so I'm just sitting here asking. Jula, <laughs> <laughs> do you know? I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure about that, but I would assume that there's no official terms in German yeah. because they are. I mean, they are a little bit like a French, but without the kind of protection. I would say, like uh, the sort of feeling of right. purism and basically. Okay, I yeah, know. definitely. I do know that there was, um, I think, one of my favorite, my favorite example, and also I think one that gets talked about a lot in German of uh, 
like anglicized or just using these different like terms is um the last time that i was in frankfurt this was these signs were still everywhere and it's been kind of widespread and like a cafe it has a little window and the sign says cafe to go zoom it and so cafe zoom it means coffee to go like like it literally means to go with yeah. right but it's like coffee to go zoom it and so it's like coffee to go to go robin said in the thing that you um what did you say? You said something about using R, mm-hmm. that you live and die by R, that you live in R. He doesn't live um, and die by R, but he, he R and love R. Love love R. <laughs> Very well acquainted. So, um, so I had a question. So yeah, like, so why, uh, why the choice of using R versus, uh, you know, like the other kind of big names in statistical software, like SPSS, SAS, data, like stuff like that. Why did you, uh, why did you choose to use R? Well, I think, uh, there's an easy answer. I just, I was taught R. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, it was, um, like, for one of the statistical classes, it, mm-hmm. R was used. So I think that's, that's the uh, um, main reason okay. why I started using R. Uh, because I know that um, some other people in the department, like, they took other statistical classes and they sure. would use SPSS. So that's, okay. uh, it's really... Uh, and that was, and that was here, that was at, um, at UI, um... UIUC? UIUC? Yeah, yes. sorry. I got to make sure I get my acronym. That was at you UIUC. Together. You're coming to a conference yes. up here soon. I am. I am. There's this whole conversation going on in, in statistics, like amongst methodologists of these programs like SPSS and SAS, that they're, they kind of dominate this professional space. And there's, um, there's like a lot of issues. I know recently I was doing some stuff on Chromebox Alpha and how um, alternative there's there's so many there's so many alternatives to Chromebox Alpha that you cannot get in SPSS. There's packages you can download for R, like this like site package that you can download and you can use that. And there's so many instances where like Chromebox Alpha isn't the appropriate thing for internal validity, and you should use something else. But SPSS basically by not by virtue of not having it available is basically enforcing Chromebox Alpha is the is the test for internal validity. And so you can see that reflected in research, you know, that because everyone uses it, like that's the standard, right? I actually, uh, for my research, I actually pay, played just a little bit uh, with Python as well. And uh-huh. I use Python just to um, like import data and clean data and then some textual analysis as well. But the main statistical analysis that was done in R because I think it's very versatile and you can do a lot of things with R. Absolutely. Uh, you can control all like every details of the flow with R. If you if you know how to do it, and then if you don't know, then just stack overflow, and then <laughs> I need to step up. I need to step up my R game. <laughs> Definitely, like I've got to start paying attention to that. I have a recommendation actually for R if you wanted to start it, and I think it's excellent. Is DataCamp? It's an online source, uh-huh. educational oh, yeah. source, and they have some free lessons as well at the beginning, and then you can you can definitely play with that, and then. Yeah. Uh, it is very powerful. And you can actually yeah. cut this out if you'd like to, if it's like a product placement. I'm not paying <laughs> You get <laughs> one. <laughs> you yeah. get we one. Get, we have one shout out for, per episode for, uh, sometimes it's a restaurant, sometimes it's... Most a, times it's a restaurant. Most times it's a restaurant or something like that, but yeah. So you no. mentioned Bordeaux earlier, the Bordeaux wine, wine and cheese. Oh, yeah, Bordeaux wine and cheese was yeah. one that we had last time, just in general, just... All the wine in Bordeaux you and all the cheese. One Bordeaux, you get one. <laughs> but uh, no, I think that's I think that's really awesome, and I don't. Um, yeah, I think there's this thing of um, 
you know, there's this thing of like the closing off of, there's like the closing off of knowledge, like within a university, right? That the, um, the things that we do aren't accessible to people. And so if we put the emphasis on these programs that cost this insane amount of money that of course the university pays for it. So, you know, there's these open source things that we're not, um, you know, we're not really engaging in that people who, uh, that, you know, things that can be made available to people that aren't, uh, that are outside of university. I think that's really important personally. I agree. So, so I guess switching gears just a little bit and talking about, so we talked about your methodology and then we talked about your results a little bit. Um, what are some of the implications, I guess, from, from your findings? Like what, what is your, what is your investigation really inform as far as the broader knowledge about linguistics or maybe even the classroom? Well, I think that, so one of the implications that I previously mentioned is that you can't really generalize based on these terms. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is that um, I would say that what is kind of perception for a lot of people, not necessarily, absolutely not scholars, I would say, but just the general public that French is really polluted or in danger compared like uh, against English. I don't think that is true. Because even if um, like they would use these terms, they are very localized, so they would very be uh, adapted in the inside the tweet or inside any article. So it's it's really uh, like there is no danger for French, and mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that's interesting. And the other thing is for me is that you see all this kind of tedious task and then like procedure of like prescribing a term, um, because I was talking about that in the presentation that Robin saw. Um, that basically, <clears throat> if they get this, uh, when like a terminological commission or college, they get an inquiry about an English term that they mm-hmm. wanted to use in French, like that's the first step. And then they consult like uh, standardization offices, translation offices, research universities, so whoever they want to. And then of course, like they look at real use as well. Yeah. So if, if there are some terms that had been previously used, they might actually go with that term, but mm-hmm. just to prescribe it. Um, so it is very long. And then once they have a proposition, uh, like a dictionary entry, basically, and then you have the uh, French Academy who has the uh, right to veto that decision. Mm-hmm. And if they don't <laughs> like that term, then they would just send it back. So for example, the kind of, um, one of the examples that I mentioned previously um, in the talk is that was early 2000s these um, terminological commissions they came up with a word for chat the online chat um, that you would have and so the term that they came up with was an existing french term but it was so similar to the english chat word that the academy vetoed that like they said that no interesting and they, they had to come up with something else and then no one used that other term that they came up with so so what i'm here okay so I, I see this, I see this big, broad implication for what it means to have prescriptivism centered around a word and how that shapes really the conceptualization entirely of that word. And with the conceptualization, there's also this, this influence of society. But in the end, do people just use the English loan word and they just call it a day? They don't really give, they don't really give much emphasis on what the French Academy has to say about it, or? I think it depends a lot on the words, but yes. Uh, in most of the cases, like they would, because often cases like you would have a very short, like a compound term in English, and mm-hmm. then uh, these commissions, like they would come up with a long translation, 
And that's good for like technical like descriptions and every pamphlets or whatever that you find in um, the boxes of electronic devices. But otherwise, like it's it's no one would actually want to say that. Uh, short terms like for email, like courriel, which is very short, that that is sort of popular, but it's um, it has sort of like um, I wouldn't say it's a stigma, but there is a certain population that would you who would use that term like mm -hmm. it's not uh not everywhere and the alternative term is not the english term but actually like um that word mail which comes from email mm -hmm. and they would just use that hmm. so, and then you see that in like bank uh advertising and everything like that so that's that's really i the other day i just clicked <laughs> on one of the websites in french uh, le monde i think and then you would see the mail just like a, in a, in a, yes, uh, in an advertisement. So they would just say that. Hmm. Very cool. Because the thing is that, um, so these are not mandatory for the population, these terms. Yeah. The, in France, you have language laws um, that would direct uh, towards like multinational companies, towards the administration, the government, and everything like that. So they are required by law to use these terms, but not, uh, not, not the general public. Like you are not getting fined if you don't use it. To, so. yeah. <laughs> just walking around, prescri literal prescriptive literal as police. Literal prescriptive as police. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And then the the second bigger implication, I guess maybe you may you may disagree, but I just I kept on thinking about Lipsky when Lipsky was talking about like urban versus rural and about how rural is always just like a little bit behind and mm -hmm. the the urban population is just kind of like leading the way in a sense is that is that something that you also kind of confirm as well that you just see this conservatism with with the with the more urban no conservatism with the more rural portion of the population versus Versus the, well, I, the urban? For me, uh, so for that, I only have available data for like um, the geographical locations only for Twitter and for uh, certain four words actually on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, so for the, the um, a great number of words, they are on my newspaper corpus. And for newspapers, even though if you have regional newspapers, they are not necessarily available here. So mm -hmm. I only work on national newspapers. But as uh, for yeah. certain terms that are... Uh, like on Twitter, for example, for Moodyas, um, on the rural areas, they are not as much behind as you would expect okay. because this is the age of the internet, so they have access to the internet. So I think it is a lot different that it would have been like even ten, uh, maybe 10 years ago, not so much, but like 20 years ago mm. or even earlier. Okay, very cool. So that's, um, they are... So, for example, for Moudias, the whole term uh, diffused in France in just 24 hours. Wow. Wow. The, uh, 24 hours? Yes, but the thing, is, the thing is about that is just they would just use the um, term to say that we are supposed to say this. Okay. But they didn't right. actually use it. Right, so they were being like very meta about it, but they absolutely. weren't actually <laughs> applying it to... Yes, absolutely. Situation. They would just say like, don't say hashtag, say Moudias. Okay. Oh, okay. And then they would turn around and say hashtag. Is that <laughs> <laughs> essentially. Essentially. <laughs> okay. 
Um, all right. Well, we will take a short break and then we will get to Jula, the grad student, who I'm so excited to talk about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. It'll be just a second. All right. Stay tuned, guys. So guys, welcome back. Now that we've heard all about Jula's research, it brings us to my personal favorite part of the podcast, which is called Lessons Learned. So Jula, if you could go back and think about yourself when you were first starting your PhD or first starting your master's, what is something that you've learned in the process that you wish that you could go back and tell yourself something that would help you out, something that would save you some time and struggle and make the process a little bit easier? Could you give us an example of something like that? Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, I mean, I would say that the, uh, one of the most important things would be just don't be shy. <laughs> and that's, um, that goes well with my personality as well. But I think it's important for like academics as well, because if, for example, uh, um, like I went to conferences and everything like that, or any lectures, I was just like, I had a hard time to do any uh, like networking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's um, because like, if you're a graduate student and you start out as just a master's student, uh, student, but you're still interested in certain things, then you just feel like you're an imposter, like you are not sure whether your research is valid or anything like that, or whether like your research interests other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, um, I think it, it would be uh, one advice that I could give. So don't be shy and um, be confident um, because you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a thing, you know, I mean, how many, what's that, you always hear that statistic, like, and it's probably widely misquoted, but, you know, you're in a PhD program, and you're one of, you know, 0.3% or 1.5% of the population, and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, and I mean, there is, there is something, there is something to be said for that, right? I mean, you are, you are here for a reason, your ideas, your ideas are valid, and you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be scared. I mean, personally for me, the first time that I went to a conference, like I had like, I had no idea what to expect. You know, I wish that somebody would just have like sat me down and been like, Hey, this is what a conference is, right? Like, this is what, uh, this is how it happens. This is what a panel is. Like I had no, people were talking about panels. I thought it was like, I, I had no idea. I thought, I thought it was going to be like, it was like a literal panel, like on, yeah. on the wall. Yeah, no, not a pan. I didn't know it was a panel on the wall. I knew, I, I understood that, right? But um, you know, I thought it was like you know a panel, like it was going to be like a roundtable discussion or something like that. About mm. something. And then, and I saw like you know the program and how these people, and I'm like, so are they? They have these topics, and they're just kind of like they don't really connect. They kind of connect, but they're not the same thing. Are they just going to shout at each other across the table and be like, you know, well, my, this is my project and it's better than yours. You're like, I had no idea, you know? Um, yeah, I really thought that it was going to be a fight. No, I didn't think it was going to be a fight, but I'm just like saying. an episode of WWE in the East End you know? The East Ends for education, you say? Oh my goodness. You know, Julia, that's actually, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Oh my God, they're, they they lost it. They're gone. Robin I'm just thinking of like, <laughs> like, I don't know, like, let's get ready to rumble. No. Just like, All right. Well, Jula. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was something that, that took me, a, I would consider myself to be a very outgoing person. Mm. I would consider myself to be very 
sociable. I'm never nervous to talk to anybody. Like, I I've been able to talk to literally every single person. I just treat them like a person. You know, like they are no different than than me or you or anybody else, um, except for the fact that maybe they already have their PhD and they don't have to they don't have to prove themselves as much anymore. Anyways, but uh, establishing networks is something that's really important because it's kind of hard to do. I mean, what are some of your strategies that you have? Do you, do you have like certain, do you have certain conferences that you really like to go to? How did you tap into your people in academia? Well, I think, um, so as for conferences, I think for sociolinguistics, it's N-Wave that's uh, my favorite one. And so, because usually uh, like um, whenever I go there and I've been to, Three of them, yes, because one was actually organized by the um, University of Illinois and in Chicago and Champaign as well. Like both. Okay. And so I would say that that is the conference where I meet most of the people that I read in articles. And so they have a lot to do with languages like Spanish in the United States, French in Canada or French in, in Europe and other languages as well. So I think that is... I mean, it's pretty, a little bit like um, pretentious to, to, to say that, but that is my community as for yeah. Um, yeah. academic community. But I went to AAAL as well in Toronto and in Chicago. And that's like, it's, it's interesting because I, for example, I met in AAAL, at AAAL, um, a Hungarian lady as well, a researcher. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> she was doing, she was working on French. And so my advisor here in the department, she's Hungarian as well. So it's like a very small word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah, that. Um, but it was like like approaching people about research. I think the best way is just after presentations. So I always find it a little bit weird to just go to certain people, like when at a dinner party, at a conference, or anything like that. I think the best way is just like when you see a presentation and you like it, you would just walk to that person, or afterwards, like the panel and did or anything like that, and just to talk. Uh, about why you were interested in that presentation mm-hmm. um, because that is that's sort of like not a, a fake artificial like hi I'm working on this and then like we should be connected but you actually saw that person to talk about something yeah. um, that you really like so I think that's that's I would say that that is my way to go so okay. uh, like so after you, presentations. so after a presentation then you go and do you fangirl? Is that what you do? Do you fangirl, <laughs> Julia? Tell us the truth. I do. I do. <laughs> I try not to. I actually miss uh, uh, people doing that, and I felt a little bit uncomfortable, so I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I have had my fair share of, like, going up and fangirling to people, but then I realized, I don't know, like, you get a better reaction when you don't fangirl. Like, you just talk to them, like, like normally, right? yeah, like then you you kind of meet them where they are which is you know inexplicably like above you because they have their tenure track job already and then you're like i'm aspiring to do that as a grad student but like you kind of i always say like fake it until you make it when it comes to conferences like you you are at the same conference you got accepted just like everybody else did Mm -hmm. you are the same right um like i was gonna say like coming to going up and talking to people I've always, I remember being so, and I guess it was just not being like, once again, like, you know, not being socialized in this environment and not knowing the correct way to dialogue with somebody. And 
thinking, you know, like, like meeting people and thinking like it was so cool that like, Oh, I'm meeting this person, you know, and the reason that it's cool that I'm meeting you is because we used your book in whatever class or something like that. And I really liked your idea on so-and-so and maybe it's just something when people have published or done something like that. And you say, Oh, like we used your book and they're just like, uh-huh. You know, and, and I've just kind of been like, Oh, well, I guess, I guess that's, I guess that's it. I, have I guess that's else it. You know, like I mean, you, you know, and I just wanted, to, I, wanted, I just wanted to say thank you for your book, and I really enjoyed it or whatever. But apparently, it's it's no big deal. It's like ah, it's just a book, yeah. you know, like. Right. But yeah. I, I mean, we're touching on this really interesting topic that Jula brought up, where it's like, how does personality come into the profession? And I think yeah. that in a lot of ways, people in academia don't have personalities. Like the they have personalities. It's hard to say, but I think that people just. They get so, you know, it, it goes back to a few of the things that we've talked about, like performance, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. Some departments out there, you have to be so performative of who you are that you lose part of who you are. And you don't mm -hmm. know how to get excited about things like you did once before, because then it's like, oh, you need to act like you've been there before, you know? Yeah. But in actuality, like, be excited. That's the reason why you got into the profession in the first place. And going into that whole entire being shy thing and like getting over the shyness. I mean, in a lot of ways, academia kind of, kind of forces shyness in a sense. Do you, would anybody agree? Would you not agree? Would you? I don't know. So I, my follow-up question to what Jula was talking about, um, because it actually really surprises me. Um, so when you walk into Jula's office, he has this wall. It's great. And there's like postcards and like conference tags and whatnot and all these things he's done. And he comes across, so he's again, my coordinator. So he works with um, a handful of graduate students and he is responsible for a lot of our teaching at or not like responsible for the teaching but coordination of the teaching and he does these things and I've always perceived you as a very social person um just very busy yeah. um, <laughs> but it, it's really kind of first surprising but then also kind of encouraging to hear that you considered yourself at first a very shy very I'm still okay um, yeah Aww, I, I don't know. You come. You, I mean, you come up <laughs> differently, but also I see you as like a colleague, like in my department. You're a, like a a fellow grad student, but mm. then also you're like a person I can come to for like administrative and like coordination questions mm. and things like that. And I, oh my gosh, you know, bless this man. Like, let me tell you guys. Like, I have been asking him questions for like two semesters, just like nonstop, <laughs> and I don't know how he just like doesn't. I don't roll his eyes every time an email from me comes through his inbox, but, um, that's right. That's absolutely true. So I just like, how do you, and I guess this goes out to, I guess maybe listeners who can also they self identify as being like a little shyer, a little bit on the quieter side. Like, how did you, was there a big like hurdle to, because those people may also want to do have like coordinating jobs, have like, higher positions with that that are available to grad students like how did you get from being shy but then also doing so much so the thing is that for me it came a little bit through my language skills as well because like when i came here like uh, i had to take the uh, toefl exam which is the um, english language exam for international students and i just barely passed the level uh for like what was accepted in at uiuc mm -hmm. so when i went into my first um, class, which was linguistics, um, basically one one, but in four hundred one, mm -hmm. um, that was like terrifying, 
because mm -hmm. like, of course you would start with like introduce yourself and then uh yeah that was terrifying for me but from that moment on like i just said like if i want to make it i have to like i have to be um i have to speak a lot i have to um I don't know, just socialize a lot. And the whole like American culture is a little bit, uh, I mean, it's a lot different, but uh, mm -hmm. the kind of like saying certain expressions, um, mm -hmm. showing excitement, uh, which is, it, it's part of the culture. And I think I really enjoy this, um, but you have to get used to that. Right. So you have to learn these things. And, and I did learn, mm -hmm. but still nowadays, like I feel that, um, so they come naturally, but still, it's a learned process. But I don't know. I, I mean, my advice would be um, just know your goals and then work for it. Because I knew that I want to like stay here. I want to work. I want to get a job. I want to have friends. Mm. And if I don't speak, I, I will not have friends. So right. Yeah. And so you've been through such a a long like such a, not like a long experience, but you've been through such like a vast majority of things and situations and so we were curious if you could sum all of that up in a hashtag either applying to your research or to you know you being a grad student what would it be um, and this is very particular because of your research I think it's very cool <laughs> okay so for, uh, I would say that the uh, hashtag that I would use is um, for my research which is hashtag don't say hashtag Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That is so meta. I can't even like process. Yeah. Hashtag, yeah. Don't hashtag, say hashtag don't say hashtag. I love it. I love it. Exactly. Could you like elaborate a little bit on like I'm still like in yeah, absolutely. absorbing. It. I mean that great. that is basically the the exact wording uh, of the French tweets that were uh, saying that don't say hashtag, mm -hmm. and that's wow. like don't say hashtag say mudias. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. It's just so. Oh, it's so appropriate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just hashtag, don't say hashtag. It's fantastic. Wow. Very cool. <laughs> very, very cool. Don't don't conform. Don't conform, but actually do it. Um, right. Sorry. I wow. have a humidifier. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I have a humidifier. I'm sick. Was it a humidifier? I thought it was like there was jewel. Somebody, I thought there was somebody jeweling or somebody next to you. No, that's the first thing I thought of was it was like somebody vaping, and I was like. Smelling like is yes. that mango? Like, I, like I would like some mango, please. Well, guys, that about wraps us up. Thank you so much, Julia, for um, for agreeing to be our guest on this. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um, before we go, if you like what we do, please go to Facebook and follow us on Gradlings Podcast, Instagram at Gradlings Podcast, and Twitter at Gradlings Podcast. And feel free to comment and message us about being the show if you're interested. If you have research, please send us an email. We are currently looking for episodes for next season. Also, thank you to Doug Lightfoot, who's the chair of the Modern Language Department here at the University of Alabama, and Dr. Aaron O'Rourke, who is our faculty advisor, for letting us do this. And thank you very much to CBDB for our awesome theme music for season three. I think that's I think that's it from the Gradlings. That's it from Jula. And we'll see you next time. She's a perky. She's in a home design. She's just a baby.